Hello, my name is Darren Michael Shaw. Thank you for listening to this audio segment of my book, Chronicles of War. Chronicles of War is a work of historical fiction. The story's main character, Job Trites, is an ancestor of mine, and the story chronicles Job's and his family's experiences during the American Civil War. He was a soldier with Iowa's 26 Volunteer Infantry. I hope that you enjoy the story. If so, please tell others about it. You can subscribe to the podcast and receive a new episode each week. I see that the podcast is closing in on 10,000 downloads. I'm humbled and very thankful to have you listening. And now, here's episode 18, Chronicles of War. So tell me about McClernand, Job inquired. Stories have a way of circulating. What's the truth? William stared at his feet as if searching for where to begin. Well, he's a politician, not a soldier. And it does appear that he was commissioned for who he knows rather than what he's accomplished. A long pause left Job wondering if that was all his friend would offer. I've heard talk, and mind you from a reliable source, of this man's incompetence. It was a year ago. McClernand led a brigade at Belmont. They pushed the rebels back and and thought they'd won the day. The general is said to have taken to a stump to deliver a victory speech. While he was blowing political smoke, real smoke, from his order to fire the town, hid the fact that the rebels were reorganizing. McClernand never got to finish his rhetoric. They were overrun. They had to fight their way out of the town just as they'd fought their way in. Defeat was snatched from the hand of victory. Another pause, and then William concluded, And there's more, but that's the tone of it. I hadn't heard about Belmont, Job processed. People are talking about Fort Henry, Fort Donelson. Well, there too, William spoke. His judgment was questionable. Some say he made a premature and unsupported move at Donelson, and it put his men in great danger and caused General Grant to have to correct him. Still another deep pause. He's not a military man. That's the best way to answer your question. Job found no comfort in those words. He's not a military man. Yet he'd been placed in command over General Sherman, and was planning an all-out offensive against Fort Hinman. Again, Job observed the choreography of war. General McClernand and his officers gathered in a tent for hours. Some of them were the most well-adorned soldiers Job had ever seen arriving to join the discussion. One man rode in on a stallion with hip-high boots. He walked as if his mount had not been kind to him. Job tried not to laugh. They weren't all fanciful in appearance, however. One man arrived, his worn sleeves adorned with many faded stripes, his beard and hair unkempt, his pants and boots threadbare. He looked like a man just come from battle and hurried to return. Even his walk was without pretense. Porter, Job thought to himself. For all he had heard of the commander of the Mississippi squadron, this was the first time he had seen him. He looked exactly as Job would have imagined a naval man by birth, the son of Commodore David Porter, a hero from the War of 1812. David Dixon Porter's reputation was well known. Job was encouraged to see he was involved in the plans. My dearest heart, it's cold here, but my heart is warmed by thoughts of you and thoughts of home. I've imagined myself just now sitting before the hearth and warming my toes at the fire. 
How have Lewis and Ryle fared in keeping the firewood skids stocked for you? To be home with you now, I would gladly address that chore in an Iowa snowstorm. My duties at prayer meetings are picking up again. The chaplain is removed to Vicksburg, and with eager anticipation for our own engagement, there's a noted rise in religious curiosities. Faith to many of these men can be likened to a rabbit's foot. Don't proceed into battle without an amulet. I do have some good news. William believes that we will be granted leave before winter is through. Perhaps in February I shall be able to check in. It is my intention, then, to complete an arrangement with Horace for tending the spring responsibilities. Keep sending the conditions along, and I'll continue ciphering for the spring so that I can plan with Horace. It would be another ten days before Harry would read this latest letter from Job. It would reach her the same day as the terrible news. Horace Dawson had been found dead on a road back from Keosauquah, where he had gone to barter. He had taken most everything he owned of value with him to exchange, and was returning with enough money to lease a farm. It appeared that highwaymen had targeted him, and every cent was taken. Harriet and Nancy Ann went immediately to be with Laramie. She was understandably inconsolable. Just days earlier, Horace had sent word that his trip was a success. They would finally have the farm they dreamed of owning. Harriet sat crying with Laramie for hours. How swiftly life could go from hope to desperation. In her attempts to bring aid to her dear friend, Harriet had a brief reprieve from her own worries. That note from Job had, after all, included the words, Our own engagement, and proceed into battle. She couldn't help but wonder if one day she would be in Laramie's shoes, being comforted by others as the grieving widow dreams out the window. Fort Hinman was an imposing rebel fortification that stood menacingly atop a bluff overlooking the Arkansas River. With a mile-long view up and down river, it could have posed a certain threat to the Union supply in the Vicksburg campaign. The realities of winter and war, however, had left Hinman and her importance to the war significantly diminished. Still, Confederate General Thomas Churchill and his command of 5,000 men were ordered to defend the fort at all costs and to Union officers in their maps unaware of the true conditions at Hinman, it appeared as a great base from which the rebels could disrupt Union movement along the Mississippi. McClernand seized it as his cause in the larger campaign. He had apparently won over Sherman, too, as William reported that it was General Sherman who had taken the lead in strategy. Admiral Porter's presence signaled the battle was imminent. So what of this plan? Job asked William. I don't see it, but they don't ask my opinion. I see grave concern in Colonel Smith's eyes, but they don't ask his opinion either. At some point, I try to resign myself to the fact that they've got brass. Job had imagined Hinman much closer to the Mississippi for all the talk. As William scratched a rough map in the dirt, the distances were surprising. And that, Job asked, pointing to the X that marked the Arkansas post, that is worth landing 30,000 troops? Apparently it is to McClernand. This concludes audio episode number 18 of Chronicles of War. The podcast is available through my website and also through iTunes. Thank you for listening and for helping me get the word out to others. You can learn more about me, this story, and more of my writing at my website, www.darrenmichaelshaw.com. Until next time, blessings.